Today's New Testament reading comes from Ephesians chapter 5, verses 21 through 33. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands and everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In this same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their body, just as Christ does the church, for we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I am talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you must also love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. The word of the Lord. Good morning, grace and peace. It's good to be with you this morning. Uh, I'm here as a guest of Tim's, and I said, what do you want me to preach on? And he said, whatever you want. And so I was reflecting and said, I need grace myself as a husband of 32 years in the area of marriage. I need grace uh, that is in marriage for the married. You may need grace that is in marriage for the single or for the divorced or for the widowed. We all need the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that comes to us through the lens and the prism of marriage. 32 years, we got married back in 1986. We celebrated 32 years back in May. 86 was a time of very large hair. It was a time of high-waisted pants and leg warmers, uh, of really bad fashion. Kitsch was very in. And so everybody had these signs in their homes. Um, we had one called the Happy Han Home, established 1986, and it was uh, sort of made in a country decor, and Fran would paint the letters different, different colors along the way. We lost that somewhere along the way, thankfully. One of my friends, uh, cross-stitch was big, and then we had people who made us cross-stitches for our marriage. And the other one was sort of the precious moments little signs. And my best friend growing up, he and his wife got married just a year before us, uh, the Valentis. And they had this sign that was in their bathroom about marriage. And it said, um, some are cold, some are hot. Some freeze while others smother. But by some strange fatal plot, they marry one another. They had that in their bathroom. Always remember that. The mysteries of marriage, right? Not just about that we like different levels on the thermostat or amounts of covers on the bed. Paul says here in this text, you may have lost it amidst all the other things and worries about submission and all of that. We're not going to worry about that too much today. Um, What's there underneath that, Paul says, what he said is there is a profound mystery. 
literally, if you're reading the Greek, mega mysterion, massive mystery. These words are never put together like that anywhere else in the Bible. And Paul's saying there's something massively mysterious and wonderful for all of us in the body of Christ about marriage. Let's see if we can tease that out a little bit. First of all, think about the mysterious pull or draw that there is in marriage. You know, um, we just went on this trip, Fran and I did, my wife, taking one of our other daughters, Mary Fran is here, but our daughter Duggan, who's moving from Austin, Texas to Los Angeles to begin new life, new work there in LA, going to live in the Venice Beach area. And so we last Sunday were in Austin with her. I spoke at a church there last Sunday. And then we drove out this whole last week from Austin to LA. We did every tourist attraction imaginable. One of those that we did was in the middle of Arizona that I had no idea existed. It's, it's, it's just this massive crater in the middle of Arizona. It's called Meteor Crater. It's just in the middle of Arizona, and a meteor hit years and years and years ago, eons ago, and, and created a two-and-a-half-mile square hole in the ground. Now, I thought, you know, you think, well, there must be a, a, a meteor that big. It was just 150 feet long with that density and speed and power that creates this massive crater. And what you realize when you learn about it is, is that there are asteroids out there all the time. There's an asteroid belt, actually, out there around Jupiter. And very rarely do they break out of that belt and fall to to go into space and rocket and hit other planets like Earth. Because they're pulled in by the massiveness, the weight of Jupiter, keeping that belt of asteroids going all around. And that's really how our lives work. We are pulled in by the weight of God. We are kept in orbit in our life by the weight of God. And there's a massive weight of God. There's a pull of God inside of marriage. What is it? Inside of marriage, we find the beautiful design of God. The most stunning words in scripture in some senses are the words that were read from our Old Testament lesson so beautifully a few minutes ago. God said that it wasn't good. Something in the beautiful, perfect creation that was all good, good, very good, astoundingly good, was called not good. That the man that God created is alone. And so God creates woman out of man, brings the two together. There's this draw of God's beautiful design in marriage. Why? Why did, you know, I watched two movies on the flight back from L.A. to Greenville yesterday. A, a good one, Father from Netflix uh, about, you know, I just won't give that one away. It's brand new. I saw an old one that was a, a horror flick. One of my daughters wanted me to watch. I'm not even going to tell you the name, but it starts around a wedding. All of these things in, in, in film, in literature, in art seem to pull and draw toward marriage or use weddings and marriages as a place to start the story from. Why? Because as human beings made in God's image, God designed marriage as this place for us to know one another and to know him. If we still lived in a perfect world, there were no brokenness in us and in the world around us, no fallenness, no sinfulness. The most natural way to read the creation narrative is that every one of us would fall in love just one time at the perfect moment in time and we would perfectly connect and we would perfectly be together with the love of our life forever. 
There's this design in marriage from the creation that pulls us in, even if we're in a bad marriage ourselves, or we're single and say, well, I don't want to get married, or we're single and longing to marry, or we're on the backside of a marriage because someone has died, or we've been divorced. You can still stand back and see there's this design that seems to be right. There was a time where God wanted all of us to be in that kind of relationship perfectly forever. Brokenness in the world and in us can warp that now. Callings in the kingdom for the life of the gospel to go forward in a fallen world can redirect that because God may have singleness for us in this season of kingdom life to serve him more effectively like Paul does, like Jesus does. But there's this design in creation that pulls us into marriage. But there's something more, right? And Jonathan hit on it. Not just the design of God drawing us in in marriage, but the being of God. Before God makes the man and makes the woman, God is a community. He's Father, Son, and Spirit. He is three persons in one God. You know, the ancient Christians just dwelt on this. The doctrine of the Trinity was one of the first things that they really just centered on and camped on and tried to tease out and think about the implications of one God and three persons. Some of the early church fathers just fixated on this. The the Cappadocian fathers, they wrote extensively about the community of God inside of the Trinity. One of them was a gentleman named Gregory of Nazianzus. and, And Gregory talked about inside of God, there's this dance. Perichoresis, he called it. Interconnected, interweaving dancing. This beautiful connectivity of who God is in community that marriage pictures beautifully and particularly then when a couple has a child and there's that threeness in family life that pictures the wonder of Trinity. It it just draws you in. But the pull is strongest right though not just in the design of God and the being of God, but in the love of God. What does Paul say here is the mega mystery he's talking about? This is a divine, profound mystery, he says, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. He's been talking about how husbands ought to treat wives, how wives ought to relate to husbands, how there's to be giving and mutual submission to each other and a love for each other and a respect for each other. And then he says, this is a profound mystery. This is mega mysterion. But I'm talking about Christ's love for the church. Even in the most flawed marriage, what you get are shadows and pictures of the divine husband, Jesus, coming for us, paving the way for us to be his bride, laying down his life for us to make us his own and to make us beautiful like he is, without spot, wrinkle, or blemish, to take us and say, I want to embrace you with a love that is eternal and is going to last forever and a love that will not let you go and that lifts you up and fulfills you and completes you. And in, even in the most difficult marriage, you see the shadows of a wife responding to a husband. And the response of the church delighting in this love of Jesus. 
celebrating that we are his bride, looking forward to seeing ourselves in the beauty of our final full wedding day when we will meet Jesus face to face and we will glow. You know, I'm 32 years in with Fran and she's an amazing wife, mother, grandmother, friend. She is amazing. I can still remember our wedding day, May 1986. We, we, you know, we were old school, very old school. We did the Southern wedding thing where you didn't see your, each other on the day of the wedding. And I remember standing down there and my parents talk about this, friends talk about this, Fran will talk about this, some people that were at the wedding and can still have memory that functions from 32 years back. But, but the most vivid thing people would say would say how beautiful Fran was and that Paul, you were just smiling. <laughs> I've never smiled like that in my whole life as I got to stand down here and watch her come in the doors and come down the aisle, and we were going to get to be together. And that radiance and that beauty about her, that's what's coming for all of us in times more than that in all of our being. And that pulls us and draws us in toward marriage. Now, whether you're single, whether you're divorced, whether you're in a really difficult marriage, whether you're widowed, whether you're young and and aren't even thinking about marriage yet. There's something here to apply, first of all, inside of this pool of marriage. And that is our culture stops short of what marriage is really intended to be. Our culture gets, and all the cultures of the world, frankly, do this. Our culture gets that there's something profound and deep and wonderful in marriage. There's something mysterious here. There's something in a way that's more beautiful than all the sights we saw between Austin, Texas, and L.A. making a drive trip, the mountains and the deserts and the caves and the oceans that we saw. There's something more powerful and wonderful But the culture stops short and says it must be in the marriage itself. It must be in the romantic ideal. It must be in the magnetism between the perfect match and romantic connectivity. And what happens when we do that is we miss what marriage is all about. Marriage, I've said this to every couple I've married. I've had the privilege as a pastor to marry about 200 couples. And I've said this to every single couple that I married. We've used this analogy in premarital counseling. And that is this, that marriage is meant to be like a window in a mountain chalet. Imagine that our back wall there was, was not, you know, just a wall, but it was a beautiful picture window. And we were looking out onto the Swiss Alps. And we see through that and we look through that window. What is that window intended to do? To get us to glorify the Alps, to celebrate the Alps to be pulled up toward the mountains, to want to go out and explore them ourselves. But what if we looked at that window and said, my, that's a nice texture of glass. (laughs) Maybe we can get one like that back at our home. I wonder what thickness that is. I wonder where they got that. What catalog is that in? (laughs) Those are fine questions to ask. But when you totalize them, you miss what the window is all about to take you up into the mountains. And so the first application is, if you're married, don't make the mistake that I make all the time, and that is totalizing the marriage. Just sitting there and looking at the texture of the glass, trying to make your wife or your husband be all that you need or want them to be, trying to dig more and more out of them, to pull out of them. They're there. 
and the marriage itself is there and every marriage around us is there to give us a window, dim as it may be, at times grimy or gritty, to let us look onto how much God loves us. Not just how God designed this for us. Not just how this picture is who God is, but how God would love us to such an extent that he gives Jesus for us to make us his bride. That's the pull inside of marriage. Let it draw you up into the mountains of God's love for you. Marriage is mysteriously drawing, right? But secondly, marriage is mysteriously hard. It's just tough. It's hard. It's interesting. When you look at the statistics on marriage sociologically today, all of the levels are down. Fewer people are getting married, right? More marriages that happen end in divorce than they ever have before. The stats are all down. One stat that has stayed up is that people will say when asked, if I could be in a good marriage in which I would be loved, would I still want to? And those numbers have stayed extraordinarily high. So there's that pull number, right? Everybody wants to connect with this somehow. But what we realize is, is when we look around and see over 50% at times of marriages ending in divorce, when we realize that fewer and fewer of us are getting married because we're afraid of being one of those statistics or because we've lived inside a family of one of those statistics, that marriage is hard. And so what do we often do when we're younger? We say, well, that's not going to happen to me. I'm not going there. I won't be that statistic because I've lived it already or I've seen it in my friends and extended family. I'm not going there. Or if I do, (laughs) it won't happen to me because our marriage will be different. And both of those miss the point of realizing God designed marriage with an understanding that it would be hard, but it could be sustained in a fallen world. God creates marriage just like he created the bushes and the trees and the animals and the mountains and the rivers and the oceans with an original beauty about it, but with a staying power about it that can endure and last and still show God's beauty in the middle of a broken and fallen world. But you've got to remember and you've got to be in touch that marriage is going to be hard. Otherwise, you're like the classic couple that gets inside of marriage and maybe it's a year in, maybe it's three years in, maybe it's five years in, but the first really, really hard patches come. The first really deep, sustained arguments are there. The the first challenges maybe around having a child are there or changes in job or change in location or because the romance starts to wane and you're wondering, am I really in love? And you forget that marriage is going to be hard. Why? Because we're fallen people in a fallen world. Because as Martin Luther said ages ago, We live curved in on each other. Marriage is designed to connect with each other, to show the love of God to each other, to live inside of a sacrificial, self-giving love for each other the way Jesus gave his love for us. But we're curved in on each other. We're self-demanding and groping for self-satisfaction 
rather than living self-giving, self-sacrificing lives. And it makes it really hard. Inside that hardness, the mystery is God can be there in beautiful ways. God, through Jesus, is there in the most beautiful ways in the hardest spaces of life. And that takes you really to the third point I want to make. That there's a mysterious pull in marriage. There's mysterious difficulty in marriage. That, that if you don't remember, you're, just, you're going to live miserably. But thirdly, there's a mysterious beauty there. Because when we struggle in marriage, when we struggle to love each other well, to give to each other well, when we're demanding, when we miss each other, we're drawn to the ultimate hope of marriage, that we're drawn to those mountains. We're drawn through marriage to see what God wanted us to see all along, to the greater love of Jesus in marriage, in our brokenness, and beyond marriage. The love of God in Christ. What happens in marriage more than anywhere else is you get exposed. You can't hide. In most friendships, you can create enough space to hide. But in marriage, you just can't hide. And all the crud gets exposed, not just your bathroom habits, right? How you brush your teeth or how ugly you may look in the morning, right? But the ugliness of your soul gets exposed. And the depths of how badly you need a Savior get exposed. And that's what marriage is ultimately there to teach us is that we need a bridegroom beyond us. And we all need to be married to him. And he came to give himself up for us. You can get this if God isn't calling you to marriage or or isn't giving you marriage right now. You can get this inside your deeper relationships because there even you get that scraping and you get that grinding and that sense that I am really broken and needy. And the best friendship, the best marriage can't fulfill me where Jesus can. And that's the beauty and that's the wonder inside of marriage. You know, I've probably told this story here before. I I tell it almost everywhere I go. I've had to change it around lately and that is, but I've told this story. I'm, I'm sure you've heard me say this speaking here a couple of times, but I met Fran at a Christian event, a conference, and we sat down next to each other and we were, we were together out of 18,000 people sitting next to each other. And, and she was this beautiful redheaded woman from Auburn, you know, and I was just stunned. We were in college, both of us, and by her beauty, and we sit down next to it. So we hear this Christian message. We pray together, and I get her to go with my friends to lunch, and, and we go to Wendy's, the redheaded restaurant. Fran's redheaded. And I'm redheaded, believe it or not. You can tell by Mary Fran and all my other kids are redheaded. Okay? And so we're standing in line at Wendy's. We've known each other an hour and a half. And she says to me, Paul, you know what? If we got married, we'd have all redheaded kids. And we did and we do. But I've always thought about that line as, oh, you were, you've known me for an hour and a half. You were already thinking about marrying me. You were, you were already drawn to me. How romantic that is. I've always for 32 years thought of that as this amazing romantic statement. She told me recently, you know what I was really trying to say? I never wanted to marry a redhead. 
And I wanted to get that out in the open. <laughs> Even your romantic moments, right? They get crushed because they can't be what our souls are longing for. Fran is the most amazing wife. She can't love me how I need to be loved. Jesus can and does and will. One more story and we finish. I remember getting to seminary. We'd been married a year. It's 1987. One of our first classes is, is in New Testament and we're studying the Gospels. And the professor comes to the section in the synoptics, it's in Matthew, it's in Mark, about how, you know, Jesus is talking about marriage and divorce. And, uh, and he's talking about uh, various things. And then he goes to another section and, and they try to trick him and, and, and say, you know, if a, if a woman was married, married to multiple men, whose wife would she be in the resurrection? And Jesus said something that just like, I've been married a year and I'm living inside of this romantic, you know, endless fantasy world, right? You know, and the professor says this, it's like there's just a state driven through my body. And he says, well, you know, here Jesus here, there's, there's no giving in marriage or marriage in heaven. What? What Fran was actually auditing the class with me. And I looked at her and said, will you wait for me in heaven? Will you look for me? Will you still... Yes, dear, yes. She's already thinking you're in. I, I'm glad there's going to be a break here at some point, right? <laughs> Why is that so? Not because marriage is bad. It's the most wonderful gift. It's the highest, it's sort of the pinnacle of the created order. Why is that so? Because in new heavens and new earth... The fullness of what marriage was intended to picture, the ultimate beauty of God loving us in Christ and our loving one another together as the body of Christ will be greater. Those relationships between us and the three persons of the Trinity and between all the members of the body of Christ are going to be greater and fuller and deeper than the richest marriage has ever been on earth. And that's where it's all going. And that's the beauty here for all of us, whether we're too young to even be thinking about marriage now or saying, I don't want a part of marriage. Wherever we are on that spectrum, there is the marriage supper of the Lamb ahead. And we get to get the first taste of it today that is so full of God's love for you in Christ that is a love that will not let you go, that is a love that fulfills you, that is a love that begins and is knowable and experienceable now, even and especially in the most broken and jagged places of your life, even in the hard parts of your marriage or your singleness or your widowedness. God is there. Christ comes for you. Let's be drawn into the great mystery. Let's pray together. Father, Thank you for this word on marriage and thank you that it, that it really comes to us in a way that says marriage is not the ultimate thing. Marriage is a window onto the ultimate thing, which is God's love for us in Christ Jesus. Thank you, Lord, for that. Thank you for the hope that we have, Lord, that where you are taking things is to a great wedding banquet, a wonderful fullness that is ahead.
Jesus, thank you that you promise to give us little tastes of that now, here in this meal, as you give us taste of your body and blood given for us. So Jesus, come now, feed us, bless us, encourage us. We pray this all in your name. Amen.